the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. Now I want to begin with just the idea that the, the world needs the gospel. And even this morning as we spend some time praying for France and, and the people in, in, in Paris, it's, 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 a, it's a great thing to understand that to, today, this, this morning, there are millions, globally, millions who are waking up this morning in, in, in different countries, including here in the United States, who are uncertain about their safety. People wake up this morning feeling more afraid because the safety of a hundred people were just shaken in one moment. And whether or not you live in Paris, whether or not you've ever been to France, this morning there are millions all over the world who wake up knowing that their safety is questionable because terror doesn't need an invitation. And they know that they can walk into movie theaters and they can walk into restaurants and they could walk into places where we frequent and bring fear and terror into your own communities without any invitation. And, and, as, and as evil comes in and, and, and bounces its, itself up and down around um, Paris and takes the lives of over 100 people, there are thousands who wake up this morning without loved ones remembering the events that occurred this past weekend and still mourning over them. And this is just a, about 150 lives lost, has shaken the entire world. And, and, I, and as I was kind of, um, before this event happened, throughout this, this week, my wife and I were going through some news stories, and we were just looking at some stuff in the world, and, and just wrote some of these things down here. There's, and I just want to share this because before we introduce the good news, I don't want to start to talk about the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and the good news of Christ if it has no platform. Jesus comes on the surface of something that's very real. He comes on the scene because there is evil, because there is terror, because there is confusion, because there is massacre, because there is hatred, because there is pride. This is the reason why good news comes. Good news comes because you live in a realm where bad news reigns. This is why good news comes. Everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. There's a, there's a song by a street poet, Sean Connor. He he, he writes, this is Jay-Z, he, 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 he said that um, there is no church for us in the wild. He said there's no church for people like them. There's, there, there's no gospel for them. There is no good news for them. And I just say that that is the boldest lie I've ever heard in any hip-hop song ever. And there's a lot of lies in most of them. The gospel is for everybody. Because everybody lives in the, in the realm of bad news. This week in Alabama, there's a one-year-old girl who was beaten by an eight-year-old who was left to babysit her. So there's an eight-year-old child left to babysit a one-year-old child. The one-year-old girl starts crying, and the eight-year-old starts to beat on this one-year-old, tragically kills her. Someone says, well, where is mom? Mom went out clubbing with some friends and left an eight-year-old to watch the one-year-old, got home at about two or three o'clock in the morning, didn't check on the one-year-old, just went to sleep, woke up in the morning to find the one-year-old dead. There is evil amongst the realm that we're living in. Not, I'm not saying that the mother is evil. I'm not saying that the eight-year-old is evil. I'm saying that we live in a realm where something else dictates our decisions, where there's something else that pulls and something else that calls us. There's something at work, and this is just one of those experiences. There's the they said that 10, 10, 10%, about 300 veterans are on death row. About 10% of all the people on death row are veterans. People who fight and serve our country. They suffer from PTSD, right? They, they suffer from these mental con- conditions and they, and they do all ho- kind of horrific things and they end up on death row. Not because they're evil, but because they live in a realm where something else is in charge. There's there, there sickness that happens. This is, this is the reality that Jesus comes into. Jesus doesn't come into the reality where, where you're trying to behave better and he tells you to behave your best. That's not what this is about. That is not what the gospel is about. And, and, and I, think it's, I think it's really something when we reduce the gospel to our little simple behaviors, like maybe I should stop saying this, maybe I should stop doing this, as if Jesus bankrupt all of heaven, left everything he had to come down to tell you to stop saying words that didn't please your neighbors. I wouldn't leave my home for that. And my home is not heaven. 
but there's something far greater that is happening that Jesus comes into. There is a, I've, I've had some opportunity as, as, as a police officer to work in, in, in our sex, sex trafficking unit here in Miami-Dade County. And, and there's a news article that I read that just reigns true to so many different levels where victims who are in the sex, the sex traffic industry, they're not looking to, they're, they're not whores. They're not people who, who, who are looking to prostitute themselves. They're, they're, they don't start off as women of the night who, who, who just are looking for a good time. These are 14, 13, sometimes 12-year-old girls who are looking for friends. And then someone comes to them and says, I will be your friend. And let me introduce you to my other friend. And so the show goes on. And before you know it, they roll into prostitution and eventually human trafficking, sex trafficking. It's a story that shared where this, this uh, she's 19 now. She started when she was 14 years old. And she shared that she was in school here in Florida and people made fun of her because she was really dark-skinned. And then she wore glasses, and, and people made fun of her, called her four eyes. She thought that no one loved her, but she met one girl who said, I will be your friend. And she said, that's all I ever wanted to hear is that someone wanted to be my friend. And she became friends with this girl who introduced her to a pimp. And before she knew it, a few years later, now she's in sex trafficking. Not because there's evil people, but because we live in a world where there's a desperation in our hearts, and there is an answer, but who will introduce her to the answer? I used to always share with our parents as a youth pastor that everyone has plans for your kids. Don't you think for one second that the world does not have plans for our children? They absolutely do. That's why we have to have a plan for your children, because the rest of the world has a plan for them. The government has a plan for your children. There are pimps. There are dope dealers. There there are people. Everyone has a plan for your children. And then Jesus says, there's another realm where where, where there's a devil who's in charge and he has plans for your children too. And I think that for far too long, we have been asleep just thinking that life is just this straight, narrow, where everything is going to be fine and what happens, happens. And we could just go to sleep and wake up and hope that everything is going to be okay. But Jesus comes and he wages war on this realm. He wages war on the realm that takes our children, that bombs our cities, He comes and he wages war on this realm of evil. And while this is global, and there's a lot more news stories in in India, in in Central Africa, in in Mexico, there was a woman who who was also in sex trafficking over four years, was raped 43,200 times. That's, That's 30 men per day, seven days a week for four years. And to, and to think that the gospel comes just so that you could behave better. If, 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 if I could ask the Lord to do anything today, it is to broaden our horizon of this gospel. The gospel is so much bigger than you. The moment the gospel gets to you, it must start to run through you. The, the same person who, who, who this 14-year-old girl in Florida met who introduced her to a friend, she's looking for other friends. She's looking for someone. My prayer is that as these people are still out there in schools today, that they would meet one of us, someone who has good intentions for them. But I've come to find that at times people who have illicit plans, people who, who have terrible plans for your children, oftentimes I've just come to find speak a lot louder than Christians. I've just come to find that people who are, who are ready to introduce things into your life that is not the kingdom, they are a lot more strategic and they are a lot more forceful and they will stop at no expense. When we go to share the gospel with someone, we fear embarrassment. There, there, there are thousands of people who are in the United States who are leaving overseas to join terrorist organizations, not because they're looking to join terrorist organization, but because they're looking for community and family. But that thing has a louder and a better invitation. So Jesus comes into the world and he gives us this gospel and he says, I've given it to you, now give it to others. And one of the things that I, I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps the most... the thing that I'm in the most repentance for is that my voice isn't as loud as the others. That other people who have other plans just seem to speak louder. They're a lot more bolder than I am. And that they, 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 they extend their invitation further. They don't mind knocking on doors. They don't mind saying difficult things to people. 
they don't mind introducing evil. But for some reason, I, f- I find that myself, I won't speak for you, but I find that myself, I have a difficulty introducing good, but evil has no problem introducing itself. And this is what Jesus comes to do. This is, this is what Jesus comes to do. Jesus comes preaching the, the gospel. If you turn with me to, to Matthew 3, and we're, we're going to journey through a, ch- a few chapters in Matthew today. As you get there, let's just pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you know, you know where we are and who we are. Lord, you know the rock we're hiding behind. You know the behaviors we're hiding behind. You know the lies we're hiding behind. You know the things that, that we fear. You know the things that shake us. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come right now. We ask you to come and, and, and just open our ears to hear. Would you open our eyes to see? Would you open our hearts to receive? Would you put power on my words today, Lord, that, that, that it would start something that is everlasting, that today won't just be information, Lord, but that it would actually spark something in the lives of those who are here today, that we would go out and do the thing that you have called us to do. So b- before I begin, like I said, I'm just going to share a little bit out of my journal here. And, and I just want to share this idea that the, the gospel is the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And it's not the good news of the kingdom in heaven, right? It's when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not telling you what heaven is going to be like when you get there. So all throughout scripture, and, and this is the only appeal I think I want to make today, that all throughout scripture, as you read through the scripture, and I hope you do, and you read it because that's what infuses our faith, that as you read through the scripture and Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about the kingdom of God and what it looks like when you get there. That happens in the book of Revelation. But throughout the gospels, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, not in heaven, but what it looks like when it comes to earth. This is what he's talking about. So everything that he says the kingdom of God is like this, he's not talking about the kingdom in and of itself in a place called heaven. He's saying the kingdom is like this when it comes in contact with earth. This is what it looks like. That's the description he's given you. Why? Because the kingdom wants to come to earth. Because, because a good God wants to come into your situation. This is why he talks about the kingdom the way he does. He doesn't talk about many other religions have this idea of paradise that one day I'm going to get there. And if, and if I do well here, then I get there. And that is not the Christian idea. The foundation of the Christian idea throughout scripture is that there is a heaven that wants to come into earth. And the only way that heaven comes into earth, and some of you may disagree with this, and I used to disagree with it when I didn't want to do it either. But heaven doesn't come into earth primarily in a sovereign fashion. So I would love to think that God is just going to open up heaven and just things are just going to start to pour down. Heaven comes into the earth through people, through you. That's why he fills you with his power. That's why he gives you his truth. That's why he gives you revelation because heaven is going to come into the earth through you. That's the appeal that I want to make today. So as as we begin, I'm just going to go through Matthew 3. So we begin with Matthew 3 where John the Baptist comes and John the Baptist is preaching the same thing that Jesus is preaching. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while many translations tell us that the repentance is about the the repentance of sin, um, the repentance of sin is is one of the, the things theologically I believe that John the Baptist is saying to repent from. But if if John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for Jesus, he comes to prepare the way for what Jesus is going to come to do. He's saying, repent because the kingdom of God is near. He's saying, repent from the way that you thought about the kingdom of God. Because re- repentance means to change your mind and to change your direction and, and to change. So he's not, he's not primarily talking about your behavior. He's saying, change the way that you think about the kingdom because he's talking about people who understand the kingdom of God and they're expecting a Messiah to come on a white horse who's going to overthrow the Roman Empire and he's going to make everything better. He said, repent from that idea. Change your mind about that idea because the kingdom is coming, but it's going to look completely different from what you expect. Repent from your ideas of the kingdom. That's one of the things that John invites us to repent from. And he paves the way for Jesus. And then when, when Jesus comes, you go to Matthew. So Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
So John preaches, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Jesus comes, and in, in Matthew 3, verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to, to Galilee. And then in verse 17, then he began to preach the same thing, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. So when John the Baptist gets put into jail, Jesus then picks up his pulpit and he says, I'm going to begin to preach this message now because John's work is done. What John came to do was John came to prepare your hearts for the gospel. John came to prepare you to receive this good news. And then Jesus comes and he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then what Jesus does, he starts to do the stuff in the kingdom of heaven. So then he starts to heal the sick. Then, then he starts to preach the, the good news. Uh, Matthew 3, verse 23, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among people. And I've said in previous weeks that the gospel is not primarily that Jesus died for your sins, the gospel primarily is that God is coming into the earth and he's doing it through a man named Jesus and it comes at a price. And this is the price that he pays for heaven to come into earth. That is the fullness of the gospel. Jesus doesn't preach, I died for you because I love you because he didn't die for you. Jesus preached, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is coming to you. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you taste it? Great. This is how it's going to come. It's coming through me. And this is what it's going to cost. This is the cross. Because I need God to come into your life and to come into, into your house and into your existence. And so the cross is the culmination of the message Jesus, Jesus preached, but it's not the entire message. The entire message is God wants to come into the earth and live with you. His, his power, his authority, he wants to be in charge of your life. And like I said, there are many other systems out there that wants to be in charge of your life. That's what all these commercials are about. They are to entice you and to lure you because it wants to be in charge of your life. This is how you ought to spend your money. This is how you ought to spend your time. This is how you ought to think. This is, like I, like I shared, truth doesn't come through likes and hashtags on, on social media, but there are other systems that exist that are shaping the way that we think and shaping the way that we live, and the kingdom of God is about God shaping the way you think and shaping the way you live, and two kingdoms are in collision with each other. And the question is, which kingdom is winning in your life today? Because God's kingdom is about his authority, his plans, his will. God is saying, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to think. This is how I want you to spend your time. This is how I want you to spend your money. Then we turn on the TV. We go on the computer. This is how you ought to live. This is what you ought to believe. This is how you ought to spend your money. This is where you ought to go. And if you don't think for one second that there's two kingdoms clashing in your very household, if you are unaware of it, you will submit to another kingdom. You will submit to another kingdom. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Beatitudes. This is, so let me just read what, what leads up to the Beatitudes here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and diseases amongst the people. And then, because he started doing that, so he's preaching, God is coming into the earth. And he says, when God comes into the earth, this is what it looks like. People are getting healed. People are being set free. The lost are, are, are being saved. Those who are on the outskirts are not feeling included. Those who, those who the religious systems and the culture pushed to the side and said they were nothing, they're feeling like there's something again. He's restoring hope into people. And he says, this is what it looks like when God is in charge of your life. When God is in charge of your life, you don't suffer from depression because the king of all of glory is infatuated with you. There's nothing for you to be sad about. When God is in charge of your life, it doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account because money doesn't define you. So Jesus comes and he changes hearts and he changes minds and he changes situations. And he says, the kingdom of God is here. This is what it looks like. And this is why in verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill and all who were suffering from pain, and all who were demon-possessed, and all who were having seizures and paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds started to follow him. Large crowds followed him because he proclaimed the kingdom, because he demonstrated the kingdom, because something greater was happening, and so they followed him. Then, Matthew 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach. There are two positions that I think we have to understand in the Sermon on the Mount before we go through some of that is that 
I, I, I asked the question, who's Jesus talking to throughout the Sermon on the Mount? All right, so it's like Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. This is the longest dissertation that Jesus ever gives. They call it the, the constitution of the kingdom, right? So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you've never read it through and through, I encourage you to read it. I try to read this thing daily, right? Um, if, if you have a smartphone and you have that Bible app, put on that Bible app, put Matthew 5 and let it play all through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let this stuff get into your ears and into your heart. This is Jesus telling you, this is what the kingdom looks like when it comes into the earth. This is, this is what it tastes like. This is, this is what life looks like when one kingdom is ruling over the other. This is what it looks like. That's what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is about. But who is Jesus talking to? So people start to follow him, and then the scene plays out because Luke's talk, Luke talks about this also. So Jesus goes up on the mountainside, and, and there's like thousands of people who are following him, multitude. There's thousands who are following him at this point because they recognize he's preaching something about the kingdom, but unlike other people, he's doing something about it. There's something that's actually happening. So they start to follow him. He goes up on the mountainside. He calls up his 12 disciples, and he, and he says, listen, guys, I chose you all. Now, look at all these people who are following you. I want you to look at all, because now he's talking to his leaders. So he's talking to, to his leaders, and, and he's, he's using the, the pictures and the lives of those who, who have followed him. So to set up the Sermon on the Mount, thousands are following him. He goes up on the mountain, and then he calls his 12 close to him, and he says, listen, guys, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. I want you to look out and look at these people. And Jesus is talking, and he does this a lot throughout scripture. He talks to other people about someone in earshot of the person who he's talking about. So he'll say, look at this woman. She was once this way, and she's just there like, okay, yeah. So she's in earshot of what he's saying. So he's not directly talking to her, but he's talking about her to someone else, but he's really talking to both of them. That's how we ought to read the Sermon on the Mount. That's how we ought to read the Beatitudes. Jesus would, would have gone through, says, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's thousands of people around him. He's talking to his disciples. Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. These people over here who are poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom. Because they're not being ruled by another kingdom. They, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn. These two sisters in the back, who mourn? Them. Bless them. Blessed are, they are happy. In the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God is here, those who are mourn are the ones who are blessed and happy. Like in your kingdom, those who mourn are the ones who are not blessed and happy because they just lost what they lost. Jesus is saying, when the kingdom of heaven touches the kingdom of earth, those who mourn are the ones who are, it changes the circumstances when the kingdom of heaven comes into the earth. Those who mourn, they'll be comforted in the kingdom of heaven. When the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, they get comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. That's my favorite one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Because those people I find who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they pray that other people get filled. Jesus says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you get filled. Not the people who are causing all the pain and heartache. You're the one that gets filled. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness in France, you get filled. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness in the Middle East, you get filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When the kingdom of heaven comes, you get filled. Blessed are those who are pure in heart because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And Jesus goes on and on, and he's, he's telling you not what heaven is like. He's telling you what happens when heaven hits the earth. This is what it's like when heaven hits the earth. So the mandates of God, he's telling you about the culture of heaven when it impacts and invades the culture of earth. And that's what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are. So he talks about murder. Matthew five twenty one. You've heard that it said, those people long ago that you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. He says, you thought like, and if you're just subject to this one kingdom, murder is the worst thing that happens. But when the standard of God comes, the way that you feel about people matters just as much. And so you're like, well, at least I didn't kill him. At least I didn't do this. He says, that's according to this one kingdom. But when this kingdom comes into this kingdom, it's not just murder that matters anymore because God starts to change your affection and he starts to, tr to change the way that you think and he changes the way that you live. And this is what Jesus is talking about all throughout the Beatitudes, the kingdom of heaven coming into the kingdom of earth. And, and what I want to invite you to do throughout this next week is just to roll through the Beatitudes. If you could do it every day this week, 
read through the Beatitudes. We're going to give some daily reading towards the end of our time today. But beyond everything else, I invite you to read through the Beatitudes. This is what Jesus is saying it looks like when heaven is coming into the earth. The standard changes. I'm just going to share a little bit more through. There's some awesome things that I, I had shared through, um, that I had wrote through in my journal. And, um, and when, when, when Jesus goes and after Matthew 7 and, and, and Matthew 8 and 9, you see him start to heal people and he starts to invite people to follow him. And what is happening here is that the kingdom of heaven is coming into the earth. And when the kingdom of heaven comes into the earth, healing is not something that is primarily in heaven. Why? Because there are no sick people in heaven. Right? Just understand this for a second. Because what I want you to understand is how the kingdom of God works. Because I'm encouraged that if you've gathered here this morning, that you actually want to see God come into the earth. And, and, and I'm just saying that there's a book here that, that helps us, that has, that, that has words and it has power, that the change that you want to see is not going to happen with magic. And, and, I, and I, think, I think for far too long, we expect God to just come and to do stuff without us. He doesn't want to do stuff without you. He, he doesn't want to move on people's hearts without you. He wants you to love people. He wants you to care. He wants you to speak. He, wants, he, he fills you because he wants you to be involved in the process. Healing is not something that is in heaven because there are no sick people in heaven. So healing is not about what happens in heaven. Healing is about there is no sickness in heaven. There's a reality where there is no sickness. There's a reality where there is no drama. There's a reality where people don't die. When that reality hits a reality where there is sickness, where there is suffering, where people do die, when this perfection hits imperfection, something starts to happen. And that's called healing. That's what healing is about. Healing is about the perfection hidden the imperfection and something is being conformed and transformed. That's how healing happens when, when perfection comes. Following Jesus. Following Jesus is about God wants to be with people. We, we spent a few series talking about God wanting to live with people. God wanting to dwell with people. Right? God, you were created to be with the creator. You were created for intimacy with God. And so following Jesus is about the restoration of you were made to be with him and you are without him. When the kingdom comes, you follow him and you're with him because that's what you're made for, right? And so the kingdom of God is about the perfection hidden, the imperfection. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the kingdom. And that's the real point that I wanted to make today. I'm just going to read some other stuff and then we'll move forward. Just, just keep on reading through. So in, in Matthew 8, he, he talks about healing and again, perfection coming into imperfection. And then something great happens in, in, in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority. Everybody say authority. He gave them authority to drive out imp- impure spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. So he gives them a kingdom. So he has authority to do it. He gives them authority to do it. And then he sends them out to do it, right? So he, he gives them the authority. He, he gives them the kingdom. And then in, in Matthew 10, verse 7, if you have your Bible, you can highlight this. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven has come near. So it says, I give you authority. And as you go, this is the message that I want you to bring. Guys, listen, listen to this. As you go, I've given you authority, and this is the message that I want you to preach. What is the message? The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message that he says he wants you to preach as you go forward. And how do, how do, how do we share that message? How do we preach that message? It's, right? There, the handful of people who are in here, how do you share this message? It sounds something like this. God wants to be in charge of your life. There, there is a God in heaven who actually loves you and cares for you and he wants to be in charge of your life. And not only does he want to be in charge of your life, but he doesn't want to be in charge of your life from far off. 
only someone in Washington wants to tell you what to do from Washington. He doesn't want to sit in an Oval Office and just send people to, to, to come in and tell you what to do. He, he doesn't want to write laws and set up a system that you must behave by and you must follow or else you're going to be persecuted for it. That's not what he wants to do. As you go, share this message. The rule and the authority, the power, the will of God is coming near. That's the message I, I, I want you to preach as you go. And this is how he does it. He leaves the White House. He leaves the Oval Office. And he comes into the earth. He gives up everything he has. And he comes to you. This is the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come. Not on a piece of paper, but on a man. It's come in a person. Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is the kingdom of God. He is God's authority. And God has come into the earth. He says, as you go, proclaim this good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. The systems that want to rule you will do it from afar. Any system that wants to rule you will do it from afar. Before I, b- before I gave my life to the Lord, I... I I spent a lot of time in clubs. I used to go clubbing a lot. And I spent, I spent a lot of money in clubs, spent a lot of time in clubs, spent a lot of preparation for clubs, you know, like for, from like Thursday night until like, until I got there, it was all about going to the club, right? You're calling who wants to go. You're, you're, you're planning out the rides. Who am I going to go with? What club are we going to go to? Like, you're just planning what am I going to wear. Like, I used to buy new outfits every week, like, because I need to look fresh in the club every single week, right? And this was just the life. And, and what, what, what happened was, on, starting on Thursday, something was ruling my life. I was living for this thing. I went to work on Monday, worked really hard on Monday, made as much money as I possibly could because I was going to spend it between Thursday and Sunday morning and not in church, but I was going to spend it. And there was something that was ruling my life that I was completely oblivious to. I gave myself to this system and I never saw the king of this system. I never knew who this king of the system was. I never knew who was actually in charge of the clubs I went to. And I, I, I never, there, there was never any close relationship with any of these people who ruled these systems. And so then when the gospel came and it started to make sense, like you're telling me that the God who runs all of this, that he actually comes to us personally. Jesus says, this is the good news I want you to share, that I'm no longer far off that you don't have to serve a God and a system that you just follow day after day, week after week by just rules and laws. Because those of us in this room who are still living opposite of God's kingdom, you're being ruled by another rule and by another law. It's just much easier for you to follow it. And so you do it. It's much easier to follow the mandates of do what you feel like when you feel like. It's much easier to follow those mandates, and so we do them. And, and those folks who the Lord has put on our hearts to share the gospel with and, and, and those who he's called us to make disciples of, it's easy for them to follow the mandates of another kingdom. But everyone follows a king. Every, every single person follows a king. And so he, he gives them power and he gives them authority. And he says, go and preach this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then hi- highlight this line right here. Freely you have received and freely give. That's the heart of the gospel. He puts it in you and it should flow through you. And this is how nations get changed. And this is how countries get changed. And it's really nice that we sit here and that we, we pray for France. That, and and I, I say that we continue to do that. But we have to understand that God has given us the opportunity to carry his message and his kingdom because everyone is waiting for an invitation to something. Everyone is waiting for an invitation to something. There's no one in your life who's not waiting for an invitation to something. And what I'm saying is that God has given you the something to invite them into. He's given me the something to invite them into. Think, think, think about before you were a Christian, before you started to follow Jesus, for those of us in the room that follow him. You remember the invitations that you got? 
You remember all the things that you were invited into? You remember the things that you did because someone opened up a door for you to do them? You remember the things that you were offered for, for, the, for those of you who, who once lived, lived a life of drugs and addiction? Do you remember the invitation? Do you remember someone invited you into that? You remember those relationships that, that were just terrible? You remember the invitation and the pull and the low? Someone took the time to invite you into something. Jesus is saying, that was my plan. That's my plan that's being corrupted. I want to give you something that's going to be at work in you, and I'm going to invite you to it. That's what he's given us. That's what he's given us. He's given us a gospel that lives inside of us that we get to bring out into the world. And so, yes, pray and intercede for France, but I believe wholeheartedly, I believe wholeheartedly that there are people around us who we can influence, who will inevitably change the world. About nine years ago, I, I, I was in a romantic relationship with someone who was praying for me. And I, and I didn't believe, I gave up the whole belief in God because it didn't make sense and there were too many unanswered questions. On days like today, I would ask a lot of questions. If your God is so big and so strong, then why didn't he just stop that horrific tragedy from occurring? Like, why doesn't he if, if, if he's God? And I remember lashing out all those questions at Christians. And I was in a relationship where someone prayed for me. And I remember, I remember clearly, I, I, I've shared this story. Sorry for those of you who've, who've heard it before. I think this is going to be good today. I remember being at my mom's house. And I was out and we had two palm trees in the front. And I remember being on the phone with this girl. And she telling me, I'm praying for you. I remember walking around the palm trees and screaming, don't effing pray for me. I don't need that. She said, listen, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I, I, I believe that God has a plan for your life. Listen, I don't need this BS. I, you know, like, because there was some conflict that was there. She said, my sister's praying for you. Our pastor's praying for you. I remember saying, don't you effing pray for me. I don't need nothing. I got what I need, you know, and, and, and I just, and, and I remember that scene so specific. Like, I, I, I remember what I was wearing. I remember, walk, I remember just yelling in the phone, yelling at her, don't, don't, I don't need this. And I remember coming off the phone with her and thinking, this is like, like, what is she bought into? We used to live this, we used to go clubbing together. We used to ride together. We used to, now she's like this, this, this religious zealot person who's going to church and praying for me. How dare you pray for me? I don't need your prayers. I've worked way too hard for God to intervene, you know? And, 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 and I remember that, that night, man, we have a lot of time. No, um, I, I remember that, that night I was laying in my bed and, 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 as I lay in my bed, I remember seeing a shadow come over the wall. And I just said, you know, if there is such a thing as something up there, something, anything, then prove something, anything to make sense of this nothing, something, somehow. Right? And I remember just like, I remember just feeling like, this is stupid. This whole thing is so stupid. So, so I, I went to the club. And, you know, I went to the club and I had a good time. And I came home. And when I got home, like, I just, I, I just, I just felt in my heart. I just knew the Lord was saying, you need to tell this man, that the pastor who was pastoring my girlfriend at the, at, at the time, you need to call him and tell him that you're jealous of him. Right? Now, only like a few people know me. Jade is one of those who knew me during that time, who, who knew that there was way too much pride to ever tell anyone. Some of you are still here. I'll pray for you after we leave. You would never tell anyone that you're jealous of them. There's some of you who are like, there is no way on God's green earth that I would ever tell another human being that I am jealous of them, even if I am. I will tell you I like your shoes, but I'll never tell you I'm jealous because you got the money to buy those shoes and I don't. I would never say those words. But God was telling me to call this man and to tell him that I am jealous of him. And that was the, like, like, there was something in my heart that said, you need to tell this man you're jealous of him. Now, I didn't believe in this God creator, but there was something in me that was, you need to tell this man that you're jealous of him. And I was like, maybe I drank too much at the club. 
you know, um, and, and, and it shook me. And so my girlfriend at the time, she called me the next day, said, you know, Father Ron wants to talk to you. It, it was an Episcopalian church that she was going to. She said, Father Ron wants to talk to you. I said, I want to talk to Father Ron. I need to talk to Father Ron because he's ruining our thing here. You know, he's coming in. He's telling you that you shouldn't be with me. You know, and I don't really like, I need to have a piece of Father Ron. Give him my number. Tell him to call me because we have some things to talk about. So Father Ron calls me. I had a little music room in my room. I remember being on the phone with, with him, and I'm sharing every single reason why I can't believe in this God that he's sharing about. And I'm telling him all my beliefs, all everything, and I'm giving him all the scientific reasons. And I'm like, I grew up in church. My mom took me to church and all this stuff. And I saw people being crazy, and, 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 and they, they live like hell at home. I saw people jumping and shouting, and then they would behave terrible. I had family members who would jump and shout and speak in tongues in church and then go home and treat their children like trash. You can't tell me that there is a God in heaven when the people who he's sending on earth is doing nothing to make the earth better. I know atheists who are doing a lot better work than Christians. There's no reason for me to buy into the system of Christianity, Father Ron. And I'm not one who stands on the outside. I've been on the inside and I've seen it. And I'm telling you that they are fake, that they are fraud. You might be a nice man, but the rest of them, Father Ron... The rest of them. I just went clubbing last night, Father Ron. Do you know who came with me? Four Christians. And we were drinking and we were dancing and we were having a good time. So don't you tell me, Father Ron, that I need to give up my habits, that I need to stop, that I need to go. Don't you tell me, Father Ron, because I know, I know something that you don't because I've been on both sides and this is the better side. It's much easier here. And I went on and I went on and I went on because I could talk. <laughs> and then Father Ron says, all right, is that it? I said, yes. So I need you to send her back down here. Just tell her this whole thing. Just tell her it's okay. And, 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 and you know, I was so arrogant, you know. It's like, just, it's like, it's like, just send her back as if she's my property. <laughs> I'm like, just send her back as if like, she doesn't have a mind of her own. And like, and everything's going to be okay, Father Ron. And he's like, all right, is that it? I was like, yeah, that's it. Said, well, there was one thing, Ron. Last night when I got home, I just got this thing. And first off, let me start by telling you that I'm not what I'm about to say. <laughs> but something told me to say the thing that I'm about to say, but don't think that I am that thing because I'm not that thing. I'm just saying that I'm that thing because something told me to say that thing, but that's not properly identifying me. So just understand that before I make this statement, that I'm just making a, a statement uh, separate from me, but it's not me. Do you understand that, Father Ron? <laughs> so I, I'm going to tell you this thing, but understand it's not the way I feel. I'm about to lie to you. All right? Father Ron, I'm jealous of you. But I'm not, though. I don't want you to think I am because, because, because I, I work a job. I got a lot. I, I've got everything I need, Father Ron, and I'm not. So I don't want you to think that I am. And he says, that's the one thing I was waiting for you to say. I was praying this morning. The Lord told me that if you told me that you were jealous of me, that you need to come up here and receive him. And I want you to get in your car, and I want you to come up here. He says, I was just waiting for you to say this one thing because now I know that the Lord is ready for you. So I was in the police academy at the time. It was a Friday. I got in my car. I drove up to Gainesville, met this tall, he was like 6'4", with salt and pepper hair, really intimidating man. I sat in his living room and, and, and he, he just listened to me rant on and on and on and on. And he's in this rocking chair. And, and after I'm done, he, he says, why, why don't you just pray with me? I says, Ron, I don't want to pray. I don't believe in this crap. This is crazy, Ron. I... I just came because he told me to come. It's a free vacation. He gave me a place to stay. I stayed in his house. I took one of his towels, right? <laughs> and, and it was great. And, and, and so Ron, and he's rocking in this rocking chair. He's rocking in this chair, right? I, I've, I've had the towel until like I got married. I had the towel until like four years ago. I kept the towel for a real long time. It was, it was a huge, big, soft towel. But so he's rocking in this chair. And, and, and he says, just pray this prayer with me. So I have to explain to him, Father Ron, I don't believe in the thing that you're telling me to say, so you're, so you're telling me to lie to you. He says, just repeat after me. Father Ron, those aren't my words. Those are your words. And the way that your system works is it needs to come from my heart. And you're telling me to say stuff that's not coming from my heart. He says, Denville, he's rocking in the chair. Just, just repeat after me. He says, all right, Father Ron, what do you need me to say? 
Just say, Father, Father, please forgive me. Please forgive me for all my sins, for all my sins. Are we done now, Ron? Just keep on praying. He stops. He's rocking in the chair. He says, Holy Spirit, come. And he starts to continue praying. He says, forgive me. Forgive me for having sex, for having sex with, with. He says, just go ahead and name the names. He says, just go ahead and say the names. The people who are laughing get me. The rest of you who, are, who, 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 who don't feel this probably don't understand. When, when Jesus comes, this is, this is the best picture of, of the cross that I've, I've seen thus, thus far in my heart. That if, if, if I were to move the cross into a current day situation, it looks like a man who digs his own grave and stands on the edge of it. And as he stands on the edge of it, he waits for you. He says, he says no one takes my life. I give it up willingly. I'm not going to jump, but you're going to push me. And he sits back and he stands at the edge and you push him into this grave that he has dug. And as you push him into this grave, he lays there and he says, all right, cover it up. And, and, and you cover it up with this man. You're covering up this grave. And it's not until you're guilty of murder that you understand why this prayer is hard for me. It's not until you stand in a place where you pushed an innocent man into a grave and covered him with dirt, knowing that he made some claims to be God, but you don't believe him, but he stays in the grave. You are guilty of murder. And it's not until you're guilty of murder that this thing means something. And then when you're guilty of murder, and then all of a sudden, three days later, the grave opens back up and the man comes back up from the grave, you're no longer guilty of murder. I worked in law enforcement for 10 years. If I arrest someone for murder... And the person who they killed comes back to life. You don't have a case. You don't have evidence. Only the Miami jury will still convict you. (laughs) There is no other jury that will ever convict someone with no evidence. There is no body. You pushed an innocent man in a grave, killed him, covered him, buried him, left him there for three days, watched him to make sure that he's dead. Three days later, he rises and he says, I forgive you for the murder that you just committed and I'm taking the evidence and I'm bringing it back to life so you are no longer guilty. It's not until you get that. It's not until you know that you've pushed him over the edge. It's not until you know that he took away the evidence that you understand why this is hard. Because it means that I have to confess that I've pushed this thing, that I've pushed this man into this grave. That's what the cross is. The cross is a man who hangs on it, who your sins held him there. He died for your transgressions because you were guilty. You're the one that drove nails into his arms. You're, you're, it's because of you that he hung there. And, 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 and you're guilty of that murder. You're not guilty of the sins that you did. You're not guilty of smoking the weed or snorting the cork, coke, whatever you do. I don't know what you do. But you're not guilty of those things primarily or sleeping whoever you slept with, lying to whoever you lied to. That's not what you're guilty of. You're guilty of hanging an innocent man on a cross because your sins held him on the cross. And it's not until your innocence is proven guilty in the resurrection that you can be free from the guilt. So I'm sitting in this room and I said, I'm, forgive me for having sex with. I shot out one name and I just started to scream and I started to weep in this man's house. I remember I was wearing my blue plaited shirt. I still have it. And, and I remember he, 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 he's, he's like, just, just keep, and I take the shirt off and I'm covering my face with this shirt and I'm just weeping and wailing. And I, I, I got out one name And there were more than two. I didn't get to get it all out, but I just started to weep and weep and weep. And I'm like, Ron, what the hell? That's what I said to him, Ron, what the hell? He says, Holy Spirit, come. I'm like, stop. And I'm weeping and I'm weeping and I'm weeping. And he's just, Holy Spirit, come. He's he's just calm, rocking in his chair. There's like boogers, there's stuff, everything is, I'm drooling a little bit. There's, and I'm trying to clean this up and I'm totally aware of what's happening, but there's something going on inside of me that I just can't, and I'm trying to pull myself together. After that event, he, 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 he bought me lunch and I went home. 
And he says to me to find a Bible-believing church, go there. And so I went home. I found a pen that had the, the Miami Vineyard logo on it. And so I went to the Miami Vineyard. And, and as I went to the Miami Vineyard, um, I still didn't believe in Jesus, but I, I knew I had an experience. And I, I went because this guy told me to go. It's like, I don't, it's like, I just experienced this. I don't even know what's true anymore. I'll go wherever I need to go at this point. So I'm still, I'm still not in line. I, I don't believe the Jesus Lord thing, but something happened inside of me and went to the Miami Vineyard. And it took me about a year or a year and a half of being at the Miami Vineyard. And I was even leading worship there. I was leading worship there. I didn't believe that Jesus was Lord, but I sang all the songs. And, 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 at some point, I, I, I started to really look at scripture and, and, and just people loved me. And, and, and I came here into the Dural Vineyard. And if someone would have told me as I sat in Father Ron's living room that I would pastor a church today, there would have been a lot of explicitives. <laughs> and and I, I say that to share that you never know who God is calling you to. You never know. There are people who leave the United States and they go overseas and join terrorist organizations because someone invites them, because they want to feel needed somewhere, because someone takes the time for them. And Jesus gives you this gospel. And he says, I give you authority. Go and preach this message. And, and don't only preach this, this, this message, but drive out demons and heal the sick. He says, I filled you with it, and so go and do it. And if you could picture picture this as as we end, I'm going to give you some verses here. But but I want you to picture a person. I want you to picture one one person here, whoever that person might be. It could be a stranger. It could be the person who rings up your groceries at the grocery store. It could be that person. Could be that that person, whoever that person is. And I know some of you are thinking, "Well, Daniel, I have my own problems. I don't need to worry about other people's problems." If if that's you, just come back next week. It says, "I just want you to picture this person, and if there's a person who God is directly calling you to love them, to share this good news that the kingdom of heaven is coming and that it's near, that 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 God actually loves you enough to be here with you." And if you actually share with this person, God has sent you here, be sure that there's another messenger on the other side who's also sent to them. Be, be sure that, that every single person, how, let me just ask this, how many people in this room are praying for someone to come to know Jesus? Right? Every sing, almost every single hand in the room is up. Be sure that there are other people who are also calling them there are other systems that are also luring them. There are other messengers who are coming with, other prop, with, with propaganda, with systems and ideas and invitations. This is why Jesus comes into the temple and he declares war on this. And he declares war on this and he sends us out to do it. And so no longer is sharing the gospel just a cute thing for evangelists to do. Because every single person who was ever invited into a terrorist organization, they're invited into it. Every single person who's ever invited and tricked into, into the sex slave industry, they're invited into it. And every single person in this room who came to Jesus, you were invited into it. And so the, the gospel has to stretch beyond us. The message of the kingdom has to stretch beyond us. Jesus says, the kingdom has come near. I filled you with it. Now go. Preach this gospel. That's the message of the kingdom. And it's not just something to experience. It is something to also share. Matthew 12. If you'll turn to, to Matthew 12. As part of the, the, the reading for, for this week, for those of you who are doing the, the readings, I pray that it, it is a blessing to you. Um, if you are, and there's some good things that are coming from it, please shoot me an email. Um, I, I love to just hear what the Lord is, is, is doing with some of the stuff that we're, we're doing here. I love to hear your testimonies.
and our reading is going to be out of in Matthew 13, but in, 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 in Matthew 12, I want to read through Matthew 12. And what's happening in, in, in Matthew 12 is that it's the Sabbath and Jesus' disciples were picking grains and eating them. And it, was the, and it was the Sabbath. So they were doing stuff on the Sabbath that they shouldn't be doing on the Sabbath. Right? So this is in the middle of Jesus coming and he's saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm about. And he's saying, this is the kingdom of God, that, that the realm of God's authority is coming into this authority. Or look at it this way, the culture of God is coming into your culture. Whatever your culture is, God has a culture. And that culture wants to come into your culture and change everything about you. He wants to, to, to change you, and he wants to, to change the way you live your life. He wants to change the way you think. He wants to change the things you do. And as I thought through this, I thought to myself, why would I allow this God to come and change all these things about me? Matthew 12. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees who are, who are saying, why are your people working? They're eating. They're, they're working. They're picking and they're eating on the Sabbath. So Jesus tells them a story of when David did the same. And in, in Matthew 12, ver- verse 9, I'm going to read it from there. Going on from that place, he went into their, into their synagogues, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason. And they were looking for a reason to bring charge against Jesus. And they said, isn't it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? So they're picking and they're eating, not we're in the temple. So they're following him. And now they're like, is he going to continue to do work on the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath is a holy day where no one is supposed to work. That's our rule. That's our system. That's our culture. Our culture says that you're not supposed to do this on this day. This is the day that's set apart. You're not supposed to work. So if you're God, you will not break this tradition. You will not break this culture. But something is happening. This culture is coming into this culture. And that's what's happening here. Right? So now we're seeing it on a much bigger scale. And, and I want to share this because I want to tell you the kind of God this is, this, is, this is about the kind of God who's ruling and reigning. So we know he's ruling and we know he's reigning. But the question I had was, what kind of God is ruling and reigning? The Buddhists have a God. The Muslims have a God. What kind of God is it that the Christians are telling me that wants to rule and reign? Because you're going to go out this week and you're going to share this gospel. You're, you're, you're going to share. Listen, God, listen, if you just say God has a plan for your life, you don't even have to know it. But you can be confident about it because God has a kingdom. God, it's his plan. This way. God has a plan for your life. And I don't know what's going on with you, but God does have a plan for you. And I just want to share that with you, that God, God absolutely loves you. And, and, and then go on about your business if you have to. But, but I, I want you to just begin to grow in a place of sharing this gospel because it's not just for you. So what, what kind of God is this? Uh, Matthew 12, verse 11. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take it out and lift it? In verse 12, Matthew 12, 12, if you have your Bible highlighted, if you don't have a Bible, just write this verse down. I want you to circle it. How much more valuable is a person than sheep? This is the kind of God he is. This is, this is the kind of God. This is the kind of God who comes into your culture and he doesn't just break the culture because he wants to break the pattern of the culture. He says, you are way more valuable than this. That's the kind of God. That's the kind of king over the kingdom that's coming. So it's not just that there's a kingdom that's coming into the earth. There's a kingdom that's coming into the earth and there's a king who values you more than anything else. Matthew 13, 44. Hope that's right. I just said it out loud. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. That's what he's like. He's like a man who comes and he sees you as his treasure. This is the kind of king. And then he has the authority to buy everything around you. Listen, when Jesus buys you, he doesn't just buy the good parts of you that you like. He buys you and the dirt that's around you. He buys the entire field. This is the kind of God he is. And so it's, it's not even about trying to extract the best out of you. He says, I see good in you. 
There might be too much crap around you to see good in you, but he sees it. And what he does is he turns around, he gives up everything he has, he bankrupts heaven, he leaves his father's home, and he comes and he buys everything, not just your good stuff. So that's why we can't boast in the fact that I'm gifted and that I'm a nice person sometimes and that I don't curse anymore and that I don't, that's not what it's about. Or, or that you get to be a Christian and what that means is that you have to stop this and you have to stop that. He's not looking just for the treasure that you can see. He buys the entire field. And when you go out, he wants you to buy the entire field. It's not, just, it's, 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 not, it's not just that there's something good in you that God, he wants you to buy the entire field. When you come in contact with those people who you're praying for, the entire field, you're buying the entire field. That's why we say things like, come as you are, whoever you are, however you are, I want the entire field. Bring all your crap with you. Come on over, bring it all. Don't just behave well when you get here, because that would be to think that I only want the treasure but I want the entire field. I want everything that you're about. Everything that you're about. The drug addiction, bring it. I want everything that you're about. Sexual addiction, bring it. I want everything that you're about. You're addicted to pornography, bring it. I want everything that you're about. Don't just pretend and tell me that you have a smile on your face and everything is good because you think I want treasure because I bought the entire field. You need to give me what I paid for. He paid for the entire field and you must give him the entire field. All your stress, all your worries, all your burdens. He bought the entire field, all the dirt, all the dirt, the, the, the adultery, the unforgiveness, the entire field, the hatred, the malice, the pride. He wants the entire field. That's what he paid for. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leafs. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.